If the gospel is not the way of salvation, it is not a way of salvation. And we're not just dogmatic about this, we are bulldogmatic about this. Are you ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Listen on some doctrine and get bulldog back. Here is your host. So the fact that they don't confess the creeds is not a deal breaker, mm-hmm. but it could be indicative of the fact that there isn't much doctrinal substance, that they're relying on a lot of other things uh, rather than, than the word, than the word. And you mentioned it earlier, churches where the pastor only preaches or is only allowed to preach for 10 or 15 minutes. Right. You can't read the scripture and pray mm-hmm. in 10 minutes. Not if you're going to do it. Not if you're going to do it seriously. Now, I don't, I don't pray a three hour prayer. You know that, but sometimes I get up and the burden of the message or the burden of the moment. And it, it's, it's five minutes of pleading with God to intervene in the service. Mm-hmm. And then you read a, a significant section of scripture. Well, your 10 minutes is gone and you're going to give me 15 minutes to preach. No, that's a church that's not interested in the word. They're not interested in the Bible. They're not interested in what God is saying to us. Let me give you another scripture where Paul says the day will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. They won't, in, they won't be willing to set through the hard work of unpacking scripture. Uh, you, you shouldn't be looking for that kind of church. Right. I, I'm not saying, well, listen, I've been to churches. Uh, where the pastor, we went to a church for a while before we came here, where the past, the church service started at 11, like most church service, the pastor didn't get up to preach till 20 to 1. Wow. Now, I'm not talking about that extreme either, mm-hmm. but I am saying we focus on the word. And if in a service, all you're getting is a lot of fluff and hype, the word is second place. Uh, how can, how can you, how can Christ be the center of the worship experience if Christ isn't the center of the worship experience? Right. In the word. Because there is a sense, and I know this is a heavy concept, but the Christ and his word cannot be separated. Amen. If you say Christ is the center of our church, then the word should be the center of your worship. Exactly. Just go to, go to the uh, first chapter of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, right. and the Word was made flesh. Yeah. 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 So you can't separate Christ and the Word. No. It's impossible. And, and, and you have the other passage that's often taken, where Paul says to the Colossians, I believe, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Mm-hmm. Now, the you there is not you, Scott Ritchie, you, the people of God. Right. Let the word of God dwell richly in your gathering. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord Jesus. And so, so yes, when you're looking for a church, it doesn't have to be a confessional church. Uh, and it is possible that they can recite the creed just out of ritual. But, but I would argue that a recitation of the creed is a, a good building block for selecting a church where you're going to take you and your family right. to be, be in. A lot of times, <clears throat> a lot of times on a church website, you see the phrase, we are a Bible believing church. 
Now, does that have any meaning anymore? No, that's that's completely. Uh, you know, I think you and I may have touched on this in the past, but we're a Bible-based church. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, we 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 believe in the Bible. But what does that mean? Right. What do you mean you believe in the Bible? You believe it's a book. You believe it's written by God. You believe it's his word, inerrant, and has the power to change life? Or, 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 or do you mean that I always like, I always like it. And this is no offense to our full gospel friends, mm-hmm. but that whole phrase, we're a full gospel church implies that other churches are not fully not. gospel. Right. Uh, and, and what you find in a full gospel church quite often is a focus on prosperity, healing, miracles, mm-hmm. speaking in tongues. But you won't hear about suffering, persecution, uh, a faithful interpretation of the word, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and other things. And again, I hope our full gospel friends won't turn us off with that. But it, but it is true. You see that we're a Bible based church. We go by the scripture. Right. Well, what you, you're going to have to be a little more uh, you have to be a little more uh, explicit. I, right. I don't know what the right word is. Uh, but that's what the creeds do. They narrow it down for people. It, told, it, it would tell someone, we believe in the Bible. Yes, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father, right. Almighty Maker of Heaven and right. Earth, and Jesus Christ's only begotten Son, a creed, right. uh, which is based in Scripture. A summary right. of scripture, right, and and a guideline so that what should use should be a guideline for the church that you know that I'm never going to go into that church and hear something that contradicts the creed, right, and that if the creed is an encapsulation of the Christian faith recognized through the centuries, and a church, uh, again the pastor, the elders, the the board make a conscious effort to keep the church within that framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that that would be a safe refuge for me and my family. Right. Uh, let, me, let me throw one more thing about a Bible. We are a Bible-believing church. And when you go to the church, you're told that you can only use the King James Version. Now, I had a friend come by a couple weeks ago, and he told me, we, we, he had come by asking about Revelation and some questions about that. But he told me the first church he went to after he became a Christian they came up to him, took his Bible out of his hand, out of his hand, and gave him a King James Version. They would not let him use the Bible he brought into the church. Wow. So you can say, I'm a Bible-believing church. We just lost all of our King James-only friends, by the way. Uh, you can say, I'm a Bible-believing <laughs> church. And what you mean is a King James Version Bible-believing church, mm-hmm. which is, which is of course, uh, uh, not a, a, a means of bringing people together because the, the King James is... A wonderful translation. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah. But it is not God. Right. It is a version of God's word. Right. Or a translation. A translation, translation of God's of word. God's word. And it's a very good translation. It's a good translation. But it has sustained the church for several centuries. But right. you cannot say, well, we're a Bible-believing church if you're using the King James. Mm-hmm. Well, if you know anything about Bible history, I know just a little enough to get me in to trouble with King James uh, uh, people. But if you believe in King James only, which King James are you talking about? Are you talking about the uh, 1611? Or are you talking about the one that was, was revised in 1729? 
or the one that was revised again in uh, 1738, I believe. Right. And what about the versions like the Vinegar King James Bible that says the parable of the vinegar rather than the, it's a printing error that was in the church. Right. So, you know, it's not, I mean, the translations, actually the translations, the newer ones, such as the NASB, the ESV, and some of the others, are actually a little bit better of a translations because we have more more manuscripts have been found right. since the translation of the King James uh, that can uh, help the translators when they translate it from the the Hebrew and the Greek over to the English right. uh, to to give us a better idea. Right of what was originally trying to right. say. And so you have the same thing with, we are a Bible-believing church. Uh, we, we, we believe that all believers should speak in tongues. Hmm. You see, now that's in the Bible. Right. And there are lots of Christians who believe it, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the, the, the point that you could make where you're not, you know, you're not, right. you're not, you, you're, yeah, you're Bible-believing, but you you're only believing, quote unquote, a specific uh, a, a, a slant, if that's the right word. You're mm-hmm. looking at the Bible. You believe it, but you're really focused on a particular slant right. of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's true of, of, of denominations uh, and 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 we have, we have to be careful there. But but the but the phrase. We're a Bible-believing church or a Bible-centered church or a Bible-based church is an inadequate description of the church. And and in that, you also find the flaw uh, in... Uh, there's only so much you can say on a web page. Okay? Right. Mm-hmm. So we, we specify that we recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed on the website. Um, and then, you know, we've modified it some, so I, I can't say, but I, we, we talk about on the, on the website that we spent three years in the book of John, uh, 16 weeks in the apostles creed. Right. So if you're into, again, if you're serious about exploring the scripture, Right. Then we would be a good church. Mm-hmm. If you're just interested in some place that you can go on Sunday morning, scratch religious itch, have your kids do something, and then go back home and, and live your own life, right? this is not going to be the church for you. Well, a part of worship is knowing who you're worshiping. And you can't know without going to the scriptures. Exactly. That's the way God has revealed himself to us. Right. So, so if you see that, you know, uh, someone has spent how many, how much time in the book of John? Three years? Three years. The book of so, John. well, you know, that's a, a word-based church, right. scripture-based yeah. uh, And And church. by the way, that was, and, and by the way, which every, everybody should know this, that was still very... Not enough time. Yeah. I mean, you could spend 10 years in a book like if you really were trying to unpack it. And we're not going to be that tedious. We just did, what, six or eight months in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and so, so that's, that's, that, that is, but that's my heartbeat, I guess, is I think the church needs solid, scriptural, biblical 
teaching right. and the creed is a foundation upon which to build mm-hmm. the church on that kind of of a doctrinal substance. Right. And I, I was very pleased with, as I was, I was worried about uh, spending that much time in a particular book. But then I have a, uh, I have a set of books over. You can see there's blue, blue, blue bound books there on the end. Mm-hmm. Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, that's uh, seven, eight volumes. Now, Martin Lloyd Jones never wrote a book. They transcribed his messages. Okay. That's uh, seven books on the book of Ephesians. Wow. That he preached. Okay. Uh, there's one whole book on uh, five verses of a part of Ephesians. Uh, and he's well known in reform circles. Oh, yeah. um, Kevin DeYoung preached, spent 40 Eight weeks, I think it was, in the book of Exodus. I have a, I have a CD or a zip drive by Alistair Begg. We spent 40 weeks on Second Timothy. There's four chapters. 40 weeks. 40 weeks. Uh, and, and so that really fueled me. There's so much in this wonderful book that God has given us. There is. And, and we should hunger for it. And, and so, so, yeah. We're trying to answer this big question. Should the lack of a confession of the creed be a a deal breaker for selecting a church? No, but I think it it is a very important part, especially today in the 21st century, when there's so many voices and so much confusion about some, you know, basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. I would... I would definitely, at this part of my journey, if I had to go out and find a church, I would definitely be looking for a church where the creeds were front and center, okay? Maybe they don't uh, recite them every week, but they're in there someplace, okay? The importance of And let us go back, and I I think he makes this point later in the book, and, and this other book makes it, but there is evidence in the church, in history, the church history, that... The Apostles' Creed was actually originally used as a baptismal formula. Hmm. That is, when you got baptized, you had to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now, our brethren friends actually baptize you three times. Okay, we do it once backwards. Our brethren friends do it three times forward. Name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. There's evidence for that, where they would ask you, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And the baptismal uh, applicant would say, I do. And they would baptize you in the name of the Father. Mm-hmm. Then they would say, do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, blah, blah, blah. And the baptismal applicant would say, I do. And they would baptize you in the name of the Son. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life? I do. And they would baptize you a third. So, so the, the point I'm trying to make is the early church saw this, this structured statement as absolutely vital to the health and well-being of the church. Mm-hmm. And if we want to be a healthy church in the 21st century, then we should be willing to consider the importance of these, these doctrines mm-hmm. and these uh, decrees. You, uh, we believe in, in the five solas, right? right. Okay, so 
one of one of the five solos of the course is sola scriptura, uh, or scripture alone. Right. That means that the scripture is our sole authority. Right. Correct. Right. What would you say uh, to someone that may uh, say to you that by using creeds we're adding to scripture? I excellent. I, I don't want to be repetitive. Right. Uh, no, but, but it's an, it is an excellent question, and to, the answer to that question would be, A, show me anything in the creed that cannot be found in the Scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, that goes back to the, state, the statement of faith or, the, or the, the mission statement. I can probably find something that's not explicit in Scripture in that statement, but I cannot find something that's uh, not explicit uh, in the creed. Everything in the creed you can find multiple verses for that principle. So we're, we're again, we're not adding to it. We're just expounding it. This is what we believe. This is consistent with Scripture. Now, also notice that there is nothing in the creed that requires you to do something to be saved. Remember, Scripture alone is that, that concept that the Catholic Church says that to be saved, you must do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. In addition to believing, there's all this other stuff. And the reformer said, no, the word, the word and the word alone is our guide for what the Lord requires of us. Mm-hmm. And again, in the creed, you do not see anything like, I believe in the necessity of purgatory, or I believe in the necessity of the uh, rosary. You see, you don't see any of that. Everything in the creed, you can find multiple in the directly in the word, and and in in many cases multiple testimonies to that in the word, uh, the coming of Christ. The only one that that you again, the only one that you do find uh, much reference to, of course, is the virgin birth, because there's only a couple passages of scripture in the Bible about that, mm-hmm. but it's still there. It's right. still vital to the Christian faith. Right. By, by the testimony of Scripture and by the logical explanation of if Christ was born like everybody else, he's got the same problems as everybody else, right. and he can't fix the problem we have. Uh, but other than that, every other aspect of that you will find in the Scriptures, you will find in the Gospels, you will find most of it um, in the Old Testament. Certainly some of what happens, he suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. You don't find that. You find that alluded to in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But the idea of Pontius Pilate, that's a something you only find in the New Testament. Right. Um, but nevertheless, it is vital to the testimony of the Christian church, and it's not adding anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, for the person who would perhaps be watching, they're watching with interest and they're concerned about that question, I challenge them. Look at look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, email us because we I yes. can I can send you links to uh, we can send you our information or we can send you links to other websites on uh, resources where they have the creed and they have all the scriptures mm-hmm. connected to that and and you'll be able to see for yourself. There's there's nothing in the creeds. I have to backtrack here for just a moment. Uh, there is the phrase which we don't recite uh, that Christ descended into hell. 
Okay. We don't recite that. That one, a person could argue was added. Uh, and there, the evidence suggests it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we don't. There's real confusion about the phrase because Rufinus, uh, one of these ancient guys, he says that it simply meant he went into the, he went into the grave. Okay. Because the Greek word, uh, or the Hebrew word for the grave, Sheol, the Greek word for hell, Hades, both meant the place of death. Mm-hmm. So that it did not mean, as some people take it today, that he went to hell and suffered. To skip that, we just don't recite that part of the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone could make an argument there that that was something that's been uh, added, okay? But beyond that, I don't know of anything in either the Nicene Creed or the, the uh, Apostles' Creed that you could not find adequate support for uh, in Scripture. And even even he descended into hell. Uh, there's a passage in Peter that says he went and preached to the spirits in prison, which would which could be used to substantiate that he descended into hell. And some of the more orthodox churches still recite that part. We don't, okay? But but they do. But other than that, uh, I, in fairness, so somebody would say, well, what about the Holy Catholic Church, the Holy Apostolic Catholic? I believe in the Holy Apostolic Church. Okay, that's that's an expression when you understand what a Catholic and apostolic means. Catholic does not mean the Roman Catholic Church. It means a church that there's only one church. If you get saved, you come to God, you become part of that church. There's only one church. Universal church. Right. It does not mean universalism. Right, right. (laughs) Not to confuse it with that. Exactly. It is the universal, the entire body of Christ. Exactly. And, and, and so what you get into though, even though somebody would say that, that phrase Catholic Apostolic Church, nevertheless, Paul does say there's one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Mm -hmm. So it's still, even the phrase may not be word for word biblical, but the concept is definitely biblical. Mm -hmm. So for the person who says, well, we're getting away from scripture or we're, putting something in that violates scripture alone. No, we're not, because everything there is in the scripture, clearly. Uh, either clearly or, uh, as the Westminster Confession says, can be deduced from scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay, It's either there or it can be deduced from it. And as an example of deduced from it, what we just said about the virgin birth. If Christ is going to be different from us, then he had to have a different origin. If he's born just like any other human being, then he's like every other human being. Mm-hmm. And he cannot fix our problem. How would you respond to someone that says that uh, a, a church that is confessional and uh, uh, recites the creeds, they're equating a man-written document with the word of God and making it equal? Uh, I would, I would just have to point out again that we're, we're simply taking the scripture we've been given and arranging it in a format that is readily confessible, memorizable, uh, can be used as a witnessing tool, Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I, I, I would argue that we're not doing anything different than what a pastor does when he gets up to, uh, to, to preach his, his, his message. Mm -hmm. And, and let me see, because I, I thought in one of these, and it, uh, and it might be in this other book. It's so hard to keep up with them, but they, they, they made that very point here someplace that, um, that this is what happens that a pastor, I think they were talking about in a connection to tradition, mm -hmm. but whenever a minister, and I think this was, I think this was brother, uh, Truman that was making that point that whenever a pastor gets up to preach, he's drawing on traditions within the, within the Christian church of how, of, of how to put a message together or so forth. But again, it's, it's, there is no difference than, than a pastor getting up or a Sunday school teacher getting up and using curriculum, curriculum that helps them unpack. That was one of the questions I was going to, he does touch on that. And, uh, when a pastor prepares his message, does he use scripture alone right. or does he use lexicons right. and commentaries yeah. and, and other things yeah. to, to yeah. help in putting his sermon together? Right. And he, and any person out there would say, that would say, well, let me put it like this. <laughs> okay, you're putting the scripture into your words. Right. Okay, but it's the power of the scripture that you're trying to convey. Mm -hmm. So it's that same kind of... I like the way you you uh, explain it, and you say that these uh, creeds were put together by the, the church fathers uh, and who got together and worked these things out. And... I think we're going to touch on that real quick. Let me, let me get back on track here. Uh, Dr. Truman makes a statement. I thought it was a very interesting uh, statement. He says, Christians are not divided between those who have creeds and confessions and those, um, who do not. He says, I do want to make the point that Christians are not divided between those who have creeds and confessions and those who do not. Rather, they are divided between those who have public creeds and confessions and are written down and exist as public documents subject to public scrutiny, right. evaluation, and critique from those who have private creeds and confessions that are often improvised, unwritten, and not open to public scrutiny or not susceptible to evaluation and uh, ironically cannot be tested by scripture. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the section. Now, what was the question that you had? Just if you agree with that. Oh, statement. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do agree, and I find that especially important with the idea of scrutiny, mm -hmm. that you can you can challenge us. Right. You can look at the creed and say, okay, and where does that come from? Whereas if I say, now, here's what the Lord told me. You have no way to validate that. Mm -hmm. This is the biggest problem uh, for people in the Muslim faith and in the uh, Mormon faith because they don't have any original documents. Mm -hmm. We don't have the Book of Mormon. We have no way to, to know, even if it existed, we have no way of knowing it where Joseph Smith interpreted it correctly. Mm -hmm. Okay? The Islamic, this is a known fact that at a particular point in time, they collected all the Islamic documents and then destroyed all of them but one. We have no way to know exactly what uh, Muhammad said. 
in the Christian church, you have that capacity because we have so many ancient documents, so many historical documents connected to the ancient documents mm-hmm. to, to base that upon. And so you come into a church and say, well, how do I know whether the church believes? Here's a creed. The creed is word for word scripture. Right. You have that much to go on. And again, if the creeds are centerpiece to the uh, experience of the church, then, then you have at least the hope that the church is going to be faithful to the creed. And you have the ability to call us out if we're not, you know, if we're teaching something, you say, well, you know, the creeds really never spoke about that. Give me a reason why I should believe. Right. Then, then we can, we, we can go right back to the scripture. We go right back to the scripture and say, okay, the scripture says blah, 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 blah about that subject. In that particular quote where he says that, uh, churches are divided between ones that have public and, uh, ones that have unwritten. Creeds. He's basically saying all churches have some sort of yeah, creed. They all have some sort of creed. That they adhere to. Right. They Just some have, are public and can be scrutinized. Others you have to dig to find out where right. they are. Well, and, and let's, 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 uh, let us do justice to his word scrutinized because I don't think he's trying to say, let's go on a witch hunt, but he's trying to say we have to have the ability to look at that claim, that teaching. Uh, and say, show me the scripture and, and not say, well, now you don't need to worry about that. You just let me, you know, it's what you just, you just trust me. I'm your pastor. <laughs> you just trust me. Okay. What I'm telling you is true. This is the truth. Mm-hmm. Don't get hung up on scripture. Trust, but verify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we have to be able to go to the scripture. To be continued. We will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.